Hello, I'm Jordan Rich, and welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, a podcast celebrating the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. We invite you to learn more at the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia website, WICD.org. There you'll find the latest info about a film we're producing called Decoders, a cutting-edge documentary that objectively and fearlessly explores fundamental questions about how we learn. And to support the making of the film, find out more at WICD.org. Today on Dyslexics Wanted, a conversation with children's writer Jody Tatiana Charles, author of It's Just a Rug. Jody's also a professional mentor and coach who helps both entrepreneurs and nonprofits. She's worked in industry, government, and broadcasting, and she's carved a pathway to success in all of these fields. As you'll hear, she discovered she had dyslexia in adulthood, but it's never stopped her from achieving her goals and inspiring others. Well, Jody, thank you, first of all, for stopping long enough to talk with me. The people I interview on these podcasts are so busy, <laughs> and you're the epitome of a busy person, aren't you? I, You know, I try to um, I try to help a lot, as many people as I can, um, and I have my clients. I have uh, individuals that want to focus on the book, um, and also just, yeah, me time, like just making sure that I'm working out, spending time with family and friends, so... Yeah, it's a, it's well, a lot, but it's as, fun. As listeners will discover, you're a dynamic human being with <laughs> with a lot of energy. We love that. We'll talk about It's Just a Rug in a moment. But uh, when I found out that you had, as a youngster, dealt with dyslexia and, and maybe you're still dealing with it at mm-hmm. some point, we thought we'd invite you on the podcast. Can you just give us a, a little thumbnail as to how it manifested itself in your life early on? Well, it's so funny because I didn't know I had um, I was dyslexic. When I was younger... I noticed that it was harder for me to read and not shouldn't say read, but harder for me to learn things. Um, I was, uh, I always thought that I wasn't the smartest kid in the world. Um, it was just like a personal thing, or at least I made it a personal thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, my, my parents always encouraged me that there's always ways to learn and it doesn't have to be the way that one would assume. So my sister always got the straight A's and she always was able to, um, absorb, books and absorb um, things that were happening in the classroom uh, very, very quickly. And for me, it was a, it was a struggle. But before we move on, you're, mm-hmm. you said your parents always supported you in a sense. Absolutely. That is so important, mm-hmm. obviously. It's an understatement. But in, in your case, tell me about your parents and about your background because it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm first generation born um, in America, um, conceived in Haiti, born in the U.S. Um, and it was really uh, – it was a, it was a testament to them because they had to come. To, they came to another country, and mind you, they didn't have to leave Haiti. Haiti was in the mecca of um, a tourism mm. at the time, and so my dad came here for the American dream. Uh, the whole entire essence of anyone coming to America, you want to have the American dream, and being able to give your children a better opportunity, uh, much more of an opportunity that you had at, mm. in your homeland, and um, to watch them take on all the different jobs. Because my dad was a tailor in Haiti. Uh, he had his own shop, um, made the most, I mean, he made all my mother's clothes. It was amazing. My wow. mother was a beautician. That's what she went to school for. But it didn't work out over here where my dad came to America, worked at Barney's and realized, I cannot raise a family off of what I can get paid here. So he started just figuring out what kind of jobs that made more sense. And then he ended up working at H.P. Hood for 25 years. And that was the essence of where he was. It may not have been what he loved, but it was definitely what created that foundation to grow the family. And, of course, they supported you as they did your sister with more than just financial support and putting a roof over your head. It sounds like they supported you in even when you were struggling a little bit with your learning. Well, you know, the thing is, like, in 
well, my mother was like a, a beautician and then she became a, a chef mm-hmm. um, and she worked in the government. But watching them um, is the way that I became who I was. It wasn't just the uh, the concept of, okay, you have to study, you have to, I mean, they, they made sure that school education was huge. Mm. Um, number one essence of everything that was happening in our house was education. And there was always different ways to learn. So whether it was baking with my mother, that was a chef, and it's the measurements and just everything in regards to baking, you are measuring everything to a T. Cooking, you're creating. You're just adding a little of this, a little bit of that. My father, uh, when he taught us how to sew, it wasn't looking at the pattern because he's like, or reading the pattern because he saw that there was difficulties in regards of understanding. He's like, look at the photo, visualize it, and then cut it out and then create your own thing. So the pattern, the, the pocket may not be exactly the way it is in the pattern, but you know you're going to create your own right. pocket or things like that. There's so much research now, and one of the goals of the Web Center is to create a, a documentary film that really highlights this uh, this talent, this skill set that, mm-hmm. that dyslexics have. And uh, so much of it is about visualization. And we're going to talk about your book, which is gorgeous, by <laughs> the way. Uh, and you had a great artist that you work with. But as a youngster, that's really fascinating. Cooking, sewing, all the things Everything that, tactical. Everything that is like rec- hands-on. Right, right. Hands-on. I can see anything. I was that kid where for on many occasions, so my mother and her blender, if the blender broke down, I would take it, take it apart, literally take it apart. <laughs> yes. And I would be able to look at it and I could actually clean every single part and put it and remember exactly where everything went. I did this to the phone. I did this a lot with a lot of things in the house where I had to actually understand how they worked. Um, I had to be, it had to be like part of my everyday. Right. Um, and so everything I've done since then was when I go, when I travel, I travel because it's easy to read a book and I can read a page three, four or five times. And I'm like, it's just, it's there, but I'm not part mm. of it. Yeah. But when I'm in a country and I am now reading the book and I'm like, I was there, I was there. I remember the history. I'm walking the streets. Um, it's everything about it is real. You know, in a, in a strange sense. That's the way I learn. I'm not dyslexic, mm-hmm. but I find when I'm reading a history of something, I read it and so forth. I digest what I can. But when I'm in a place, I went to Britain years ago and yep. walked through uh, the Abbey and, and said, oh my God, I now understand yep. how all these kings and queens did what they did and where they came in history. Yep. But I think that's really... Now, take us back to your school days. Mm-hmm. Did all of that stuff that you were doing at home with the support of your parents, learning all these great things and and methods. Did it transfer to school ultimately? Were you able to get better at the school learning process because of that? Well, it's funny because like, I was always told I had to get A's and, and there was no way around it. You had, to get, <laughs> you had to get A's without lying, stealing, cheating, killing anyone to okay. get to the A. All right. And so um, it was always at playing tricks with myself to like, if I'm reading, I would read backwards. I would read backwards because that for me seemed normal to not read from the back of the book to the front, but I would read from top to bottom. Um, again, that was normal. I could read up the mirror. I could write backwards. Um, there are certain things that I just did that I thought were normal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't watch other kids doing it. And it was funny because I went to an exhibit and it was Da Vinci and all these things that I was doing, he did years ago. And I'm like, oh my God, that's like really cool. So I gravitated towards him. Um, even just the simple things as in um, when I was applying, when I was in class and I remember I was always putting in special ed classes. Um, they never knew why I wasn't slower and they would just use the excuse, well, English is not her first language or there's always an excuse because no one could explain why she's getting the A's, but she's just slower moving mm-hmm. to get to that A. And my dad and my mother 
were very, very encouraging. We're like, it will be fine. And it was just, a, I mean, it was a struggle. But my dad would get encyclopedias. And he's like, I want you to pick a subject. I want you to read about it. And I want you to practice your handwriting. And the practicing of the handwriting was one way of getting the handwriting right. But yeah. learning about a subject in a way where I'm not reading it and not understanding because I'm reading and reading and reading, I'm actually living it. I'm so, part of it. So again, I keep coming back to the fact that you had such a great home life and such interested parents. And, and this is not to lecture anybody listening, but it makes a difference when you have familial support and when you, you know, I, you didn't talk much about your sister, but I'm assuming, is she older or younger? She's older. Okay. Was she a, a, an assist for you as well in some cases? No, it was like, it was more, it was just, it was more competitive. Well, no, and it wasn't that we weren't competitive. It was, it was school, um, it was school friends as well as parents were the ones that did it the most. Oh, okay. Um, and it was just, and it, for my parents, it was, they saw something, but they didn't use, they didn't ever put into the forefront because then it becomes a handicap. And so I always say, like, you can get support anywhere as long as the individuals don't use it as, oh, poor Jody, she right. can't. They just made things a little bit more creative in regards of the way that I was going to learn. And that was one of the things that made me feel like I can do anything. And I was told, there's nothing in this world that you cannot do. Okay. Because I was told, there's nothing in this world that I cannot do. And that was one of those moments where no one ever said, oh, you can't do that because you're dyslexic. Your resume reflects uh, a doer. There's no question about <laughs> it. I mean, and, and I want to get to the book that I have in front of me that I just loved. It's it's a book for children. Mm -hmm. It's called It's Just a Rug. You wrote it, and it's illustrated by Diana Lasanto. Yes. And I love the illustrations. They're great. They're just very she classy. really phenomenal. I mean, like, well, she made – I gave her the script. I gave her the scenario, and she just made made it pop. Now, the script, uh, the, the text, has to do with kids discovering their backgrounds, and it all focuses on the rug. I'll have you mm -hmm. describe the plot line. But in a way, I mean, it's not just about people where they come from. It's people's level of success in life, their education level. Mm -hmm. This applies to a lot of people, including maybe dyslexics who are a little concerned about their self-esteem. Talk, talk to us about the book. In regards to, um, so it's three. Well, let's talk about what it says, what it does, first of all. Uh, three three kids, um, Dalar, um, Zazu, and Birdie. They're three friends. They're eight years old. Um, just like you, you're watching kids and you just watch them play. I mean, and there's like, oh, so many of my friends have children. Um, I am Auntie Jody to 10 zillion. And <laughs> you watch them and they're just, just, they're just kids. They never question what a person looks like or any disabilities or any, like they, don't, they never question anything. They're mm -hmm. just, if someone brings up, they're like, oh yeah, by the way, he has crutches. Oh yeah, by the way, he has red hair. They never question it unless someone says, did you notice? Right. Um, and the three of them are just, they're on a soccer team together. They go to school together and they're being questioned by the grandmother, Delir's uh, grandmother, um, about, not question, but she's asking, who are you? Like, tell us about where you come from and what are the foods that you eat? And the kids just didn't know because they something they didn't pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And now they get to go home and they're more curious about their personal lives, um, their families, their, their, their uh, the past generations. And it's really nice because they get excited about sharing who they are to their friends once they know um, where they're coming from. Which and is it nice. all focuses around this rug, right? Yes, exactly. Um, the, the rug itself, which is like it's always – you look at rugs and they, it's just woven together. But – Rugs can last a lifetime. Mm. And these, a lot of these um, very, very unique Asian rugs, Persian rugs, they've been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. You can go to a museum and you're seeing them. How is that possible? How is it possible that they're lasting that long? How is it possible the colors are still vibrant? Uh, how is it possible they're still telling someone's story? Um, they always say that 
Uh, in life, like, you die twice. Once when you die, but the second time when someone stops talking about you. Yeah. The rug keeps the story of a family alive for years and years and years to come. And these kids are part of keeping their histories alive by sharing well, with others. You've been on a bit of a book tour yes. of late and you've done some readings and so forth. And people have been reading the book. What's the reaction been? What what kind of feedback are you getting? I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm shocked. I mean, I'm shocked and surprised and elated at the reaction of adults and children. Um, the kids love it. The colors are really pop for them. They're able to read. So if you're an advanced reader, like starting at four years old, if you're a little bit slow of a reader till 10, 11, um, and the target age is six to eight years old, and they are really engaged with, wow, this is making me think. It's making me think about something I never thought about mm. before. So that's a good thing. For adults, um, I have a lot of individuals buying two books. I'm like, oh, who are you going to donate it to? They're like, no, it's for me. I'm like, it's for you. It's a children's book. They're like, it's reminding us that we can get on a plane and go and visit the country where we're from to discover who we are again. Because it's too easy to spit on a stick and mail it out and assume that someone's going to tell you who you are. But it's even better to actually engage yeah. with people and yeah. go to the libraries and walk the paths of your ancestors. And it, it – it, not to be too trite, but it's sort of a celebration of differences. Absolutely. Uh, it's a celebration of the fact that you came from here, you came from here. Mm -hmm. Your grandmother speaks with an accent. I mean, all this kind of stuff. But it's uh, it's done in a way that's very gentle and very loving. And I'm guessing, just guessing, <laughs> that a lot of that has to do with the family you grew up with, with your grandmother and with, mm -hmm. with people in your life. Yeah, so I, grew, I took care of my grandmother for 22 years before she passed away three years ago at 95. Oh. And um, to, uh, to be a 22-year-old, and you're taking care of an elderly, and my parents retired to Florida. And if I just keep an eye on her, she'll move to Florida. And she's like, I'm not moving. No, she's not moving. It's a very large uh, – in Cambridge is a very large Haitian community. And she's like, this is my home. Um, and it was wonderful to watch all the essence of who she was. And who she was is who I am. Mm -hmm. And it was really um, – it's amazing in regards of I'm a very – I have a very large personality, but I'm a very simple person. I always tell people – what you see is what you get. I'm very transparent. You ask me a question, I will answer. I wanted the book to be just as simple, um, not talking down to someone, not scolding anyone, just basically this is a story that will help you engage in what you're doing. When I'm speaking with my clients and I'm talking about their personal brand, I always tell them, like, this is your time. This is like 90 minutes of me spending time with you for you to re reinvent and reengage with you because we're moving so fast. We're talking about work. We're just like taking care of everybody else but you're not taking care of you. And so everything I'm doing is really making people understand that the best part of living is really knowing who you are and leaving a legacy behind in any way possible. And let's focus back on the dyslexic yep. uh, part of your history and a message that I'd love you to convey to people listening who either have children who are dealing with it and, and you know, struggling a little bit in school or adults who have had this and for some, it's been a lifelong syndrome. They haven't dealt with it because they haven't had the help and assistance. What advice or what uh, inspiration would you like to impart? Well, the best part is that I found out much later. So I found out that I was dyslexic at 38 years old. Um, and so throughout my entire life, it was this internal like, oh, my goodness gracious, I, I don't feel smart. But I would constantly do things to challenge myself. So imagine having that whole entire moment of you're watching everyone else and they're succeeding, succeeding, succeeding. And I'm succeeding, but I'm not satisfied. So mm. I would see the Boston Marathon and I'm like, I'm going to run the Boston Marathon because I want to feel it. I want to understand how that works. Everything that I've done, I needed to experience it. So when I decided that I was going to go to um, uh, go to go for my MBA, 
um, I had to take the dreaded, the dreaded GMATs. <laughs> yes. And as a individual who has dyslexia or any learning disability, those tests are just brutal. Um, they're very, very difficult. And I took, literally I took the test. It was like an obscene amount of times that I took that test because I never could pass a certain score. And when I was applying, MIT was my number one school of choice. And um, it was funny because they were amazing. And they're like, we don't understand how you could have this resume and this personality, and yet you can't pass this mm. standardized test. I'm like, I can't. I mean, and I, I've done everything. I hired tutors. I did everything under the sun. And it was just so frustrating that it just didn't work out. And then when I ended up going to Babson, it was a better fit because they understood, even just in my interview, they asked me a simple question where, hey, so we see that you've run a Boston Marathon. I'm like, yeah. They were like, uh, walk us through the process. Like, what? So, of course, I'm studying for these 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 like specific questions that I, I heard they would ask you during an interview for MBA. And she just like walked me through, she just asked me questions about, look, walk me through everything that you did to train for a marathon. And I'm like, da -da 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 -da, talking, talking, talking. Right. And she's like, all right, thank you. And I'm like, oh my God, what just happened here? What just happened? And it was the essence of that was getting an understanding of like, you know how to be there on time. You know how to yes. schedule things. Yes. It was great. But what happened in between the MIT and the, while getting to Babson was at, at MIT, I had a mentor that said, you know what, do you mind getting tested? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I go, I'm like, sure. I mean, I'm again, transparent. And I went to MGH and they, it was a, it was a nine hour test. Whoa. It was when they say your brain hurts, your, my brain hurt <laughs> after this nine hours. And I walked in, I'm like, I go, am I ADHD? She's like, no, you're on time. I'm like, ADD. She's like, no, she's like, and I literally thought of all these things and right. no, 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 no. And every single test was, Harder than the next only, I mean, it was, it was simplistic for some people, but it's harder because it, I was overthinking things. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the end, she's like, I go, you're dyslexic. I go, what am I going to do with that? Like, what, like, I'm an adult. What am I going to do with that? And she's like, I go, do you notice this, this? And she started naming all these different things that I should be aware of. I'm like, I already do this. I already do this. I already do this. Like everything that I met with, I already found a way to fix it. Right. You had, you had over, you had compensated exactly. for, My for entire life. not even knowing the, the diagnosis. Exactly. And, and. Just to follow up on that is, okay, you get the diagnosis. You're super successful to that point anyway. How did it change knowing that you had dyslexia? You know, the, the sad thing is like, um, I, I should say the sad and the sad thing is it didn't. I mean, it didn't, it didn't affect me at all. I mean, I, this is so funny. I actually brought these books. I ran out and I bought books. Ah, I bought the books. Dyslexia and adults, overcoming dyslexia. You, you did the. I, I did. But notice one book. Is still in its plastic. Yes, you have an open one. <laughs> and this was uh, 10 years ago. Okay. <laughs> still in the plastic and one is not. And I was thumbing through and everything. I'm like, this is like, I did it. I mean, I just, I, everything that's in the book, I do every day naturally. And I think that's where, for me, I would the best advice I would give is find your own way, discover your own way of, um, discover your own way of doing whatever you do. Mm. Uh, whether you are, a mechanic, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a musician, find your own way. Because the second you get locked into a book or someone telling you, like if you're a photographer, like the picture, if you're going to take a certain picture, you could only do it on this aperture. But I'm an artist. And because I'm an artist, I can do it in so many other ways. So for me, I'm happy that I found out later in life because I think it would have been truly a handicap because I would have used it as an excuse. Well, you're you're a poster child. I'm calling you a child. <laughs> you're a poster child for the the message of the film that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And there's a trailer on the website uh, that people can go to that really looks at the 
the patterns that dyslexics exhibit, which mm -hmm. are brilliant yeah. because they're figuring out solutions to enigmas. Our lives are a puzzle. Exactly. And, it, and it, sometimes when you're forcing a challenge on someone and they're up for the force and they're up for the challenge, they'll figure out a way, and as you have, yeah. I mean, throughout your entire life. I think it's really inspiring. It's, it's too easy to tell everyone to draw inside the line. It's too easy. Mm. I don't want to draw inside the line. I don't do things like everyone else. I, don't, I mean, I'm not a fan of reading a manual before I go on a trip. I want to go on the trip and figuring it out. I want to talk to people. I am that person that says good morning to everyone. And my cousins are always like, stop saying good morning to every I'm like if they make eye contact I'm going to sit there and talk to them I want to engage well so, you, I, I think that's what it's interesting about you writing this book for children children's writing is very difficult by the way it's yeah. people think oh it's easy how many harder pages? than I thought much harder because mm -hmm. the messaging has to be direct and really mm -hmm. on their level but uh, I think it's really a testament to people with anyone with with the dyslexic issue to be able to not only read a book but to write a book yeah. So congratulations. Thank you so very much. I mean, it's I mean, it was great because I got to write freely. I um I'm a big fan of writing like paper and pen. Yes. Um, yes. I don't want to be in front of the computer. It's a distraction for me. Um and so as I wrote, I just wrote as I saw. As like I mean, I was imagining things that were happening throughout my life and I just started putting them together. I had post-it notes all over my wall. Um I had situations in the past where I would watch individuals being mean to um like their counterparts. Um, not respecting different cultures or or using different cultures as a, a platform where like, look, look at all the people that I have on my team that are all diverse. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't make sense. But every single time I saw the lemons, I took them and turned them into lemonades. I just right. like, just again, it was a wall full of post-it cards. And it was little by little, I started putting them together, piecing together and the story came to be. Um, and the great thing is I had a great editor as well. So Emily, Emily Thor, did a great job in regards of it was the story. The story right. never changed, but Emily right. just made sure it flowed because that's where I do I, I don't excel in that part of it. And if, so, if I can come up with the only quote of the day that's worth quoting, yes, and it's an inside baseball quote. Everyone needs an editor. Everyone, <laughs> everyone, everyone needs an editor. Believe I've been an editor and I've needed editing because that's that that fine tuning is is another eyeball and it makes so much of a difference. Well, the best thing about an editor is the fact that, especially with Emily, she never changed the story. Yeah, the story never changed. Like Just I'm reading it, made it flow even better. It was it was every single time. It's same thing with I would get a in uh, in our um, Dropbox, I'd get an alert on my phone and I would see the photos and I'm like I can't believe she was in my head. Mm. And with Emily, I'm like I go that's exactly what I meant to say, but I didn't want to use that word. And we would go back and forth with certain words, and she would just double check. Are you sure you want to use this word? I go I do. I really want to use this word because it would it makes more sense to kids. And she's an adult and she's like, she's not interacting with kids as much as I was. So I'm like, it was the three of us made a great team of making sure that the story was a nice flow for the entire family or anyone that supports young, young readers. Well, it's called It's Just a Rug. It's a book aimed at the, the younger audience, but a lot of adults are reading it and enjoying adults. it yeah. and uh, sharing the message. But I, I'm inclined to think that at some point, sooner maybe than later, you're going to write a memoir that's going to kick but because you've got so much going on. And uh, I met you at, a, at another taping of a different podcast. And I said, wow, I've got to get this lady Jody back here soon. But thank you for spending a few minutes Oh, you're so sharing. very welcome. I really do appreciate your time. And tell everybody how they can find you on the web. What's the best way? You could just go to www.itsjustarug.com. 
So just a rug.com. It's just a rug.com. Perfect, perfect. And it's like, there's like a listing of everywhere around the world, which is really cool. Everywhere around the world that you could purchase the book, which oh, is really that's, cool. Oh, that's that's fantastic. We wish you phenomenal success, continued phenomenal success. But I do too. want to say one thing. For yes. anyone out there, everyone has a story. And everyone has a story that should be told to leave their legacy behind. Do not let anything hindrance be a hindrance to your successes. So um, I implore everyone out there, find something that you love to do and just do it. And don't let anyone get in your way because then you just become, you just fall into the cracks of just being like everybody else. So stand out. I love it. You, you're <laughs> ending with a, with a great Beaumont, a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful statement of, of fact from your point of view. And I agree. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining us, Jody. Thank you so very much. Thank you for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Feel free to contact us here at our website, WICD.org. And there you'll learn more about how you can support the documentary film Decoders, which is currently in production. We welcome guest or topic suggestions for this podcast. Dyslexics Wanted is available on all major platforms, including Apple, and is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. I'm Jordan Rich, wishing you a great day.